Hello, everyone. Welcome to Lavish Hope, a podcast that highlights stories of resilience and overcoming. In this space, we explore what it means to be resilient in today's world, how to overcome challenges and find hope that is generous, abundant, and even extravagant. It's a hope that is deeply rooted in our faith, not some theoretical ideal, but gritty, real, hard-won faith. It connects us with the prophet's powerful, assuring message, for surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. And our hope is that you'll come away from these episodes feeling encouraged and inspired with perhaps a new tip or tool to help you on your life's journey. So come along with us and embrace lavish hope. So here we are, Lavish Hope Podcast, Stories of Resilience and Overcoming. Mm -hmm. I am Liz Testa, the host, and I am so delighted to be here with my dear friend uh, and fellow artist, Mario Sprouse, who um, has been blessing people with both his artistic talents and his... um, vocational calling to gather artists together to find support and encouragement. (laughs) It's amazing. And so Mario, thank you for taking some time to come by the podcast today and be with us. I would love for our uh, listeners to hear a little bit from you about yourself. Well, I'm uh, born in New York, born and raised in New York City person. Um, My parents were from the uh, Dominican Republic, from Santo Domingo. Uh, They met each other here in this country. And so for me, I grew up Latino, I grew up West Indian, I grew up Caribbean, I grew up everything (laughs) in our home because their parents were from a different place and their parents were from a different place. A lot of traveling going on, a lot of stuff happening between or among all of the islands. And so by the time I was born, uh, they settled in the Bronx, which is where I grew up uh, and we had lots of family all around. Some spoke nothing but Spanish and others were English. Like my parents raised us, my brother, sister and I speaking English, but their brothers and sisters, children all spoke Spanish. And so it was all, (laughs) it's jumbled together in El Bronx, I tell you. (laughs) I grew up there, but I was born in Spanish Harlem, 118th Street and Park Avenue. So that's where my family started out, so to speak, in in that location and then moved to the Bronx a couple of years later. Uh, So I'm surrounded by all kinds of Spanish influences and uh, that's really in my blood. It's no way for me to get that out of what I do and who I am, not that I want to, but it often doesn't come with the visage. The person looking at me doesn't say, what, what, you know Spanish, you know Spanish? Yes, I do, it's all in my family, but you don't look, yeah, 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 I know, I know. But it is. And so part of my journey is expressing all aspects of my life as I know it. Culturally, spiritually, every single kind of way that I could think of, because in effect, it's in there somewhere. We're so mixed up. It's in there, <laughs> it's in there somewhere. I'm telling you, like my grandmother, my mother's mother was born in, in uh, Mayaguez in Puerto Rico. And uh, we have people from Turks Island and St. Martin and Nevis and, and you name it. So 
uh, mezclado. I'm, I'm mixed all over the place, but love it. And so that actually has helped me to be resilient because I've seen that in my family. You can't help but be the, the son or daughter of an immigrant who's come here. Mm -hmm. uh, my parents came here in 1929 when stock market crashed and everything is going kaplooey. Mm -hmm. They said, you know, hey, um, let's make it. We, you know, they came here on a mission. And that's the difference. They came here on a mission to make to make their lives better and the, and the lives of their family better. That's different from just sort of uh, uh, being assumed that you're in the country and, and you've been here. Uh, so one of the one of the uh, things that's been said to me, I, if I had a dollar for every time over the years, oh, uh, <laughs> where are you, where where in the south are you from? I go um, south. Bronx, that's <laughs> about it, you know, because I'm, so therefore I'm first generation American, basically. And so yeah. just going through all of that cultural stuff is, is really, really uh, an interesting thing. I was a musical director for a production years ago and, and one of the uh, sponsors said to me, I thought you were a Harlem boy. I said, I am. Spanish on. <laughs> so with all of that, I think I came equipped to be resilient and have hope. Just it's in there. It's part of my DNA. It's so beautiful, right? Esperanza. It's, it is right there. Yes. You know, so Mario, this is so beautiful, this idea of this sort of multicultural background that you have. And, you yes. know, this, this, you know, you're talking about you've got family and ancestry from all over the Caribbean. Um, and we know the ancestors uh, had to have resilience, um, right. especially those that were enslaved or indentured servants. Um, and so then, so then you bring that here and then out of all of that, like it would be enough for you to just be a regular guy doing a regular job with all of that beautiful richness uh, underneath you. Right. And then on top of it, you've got this artist um, person uh, that you That's are. Yes. So how did that, like, how does that come into the picture alongside all this multicultural? Well, I, as an artist, I, I began playing piano at seven years old. I saw my brother taking piano lessons in our living room in the Bronx. And uh, so I said, I want to do this. I hit the keys. I want to do this. And so my parents uh, provided the opportunity for me to uh, play piano. Uh, my father actually uh, was a, a cabinet maker by trade in, in the DR. But when he came here, he actually pursued a career in singing. Uh, and of course, this is in the 1930s. And so, yeah, there weren't a whole lot of opportunities for dark skinned people to pursue a career in singing, but he sang all the time. I have some programs of, of how in Harlem, lots of people got together in churches or community centers or theaters and gave recitals. And so I have some of the programs that he did back in really? 1932 or 1933 to a bunch of people. I mean, this is a height of all kinds of wonderful cultural things happening. So I grew up hearing him sing uh, and you know, picking at the piano and picking out his parts. So music was all around. Uh, and as you know, people in the Caribbean and, and uh, Latina countries, they love to dance. And so in our house, we had dancing <laughs> and we had lots of singing and gathering of people and merengue and all kinds of stuff happening in our house on the Victrola. You know, that's I what love it. it was. 
playing those 78 records of Machito and Tito Puente and, and all of that. So it was in my blood and I just pursued it as a, as a career, uh, majoring in music in, in, uh, at City College where, where I attended and continuing afterwards because that's what I wanted to do. But I also, in the Bronx at our church, which was St. Augustine Presbyterian Church, uh, 165th Street and Prospect Avenue, the senior minister is named, was named uh, Edler Garnett Hawkins. And Edler Hawkins absolutely put together art and spirituality, went into his house. You were saturated, you were overflowed with art from all over the place. And that was a really early uh, impression for me that I, where did all of this sculpture come from? Who painted this? Why is that this way? Wow. Anytime any person would come into town, it didn't matter who it was, they would come by the church and he would introduce us to him. In fact, in the early nineties, my job was to tape Duke Ellington's sacred concert, which was held in our sanctuary. In the early sixties, I remember watching this and there was this dancer going up the one island and the women were going crazy. He's going up one aisle, handsome. That was <laughs> Jeffrey Holder. And Carmen de Lavalade was right there as well. And this is in our sanctuary. I grew up with this. And so being able to be sensitive to artists and then making sure that artists understand our worth in a society that relishes the starving artist syndrome. I simply could not abide that. So by the time I got to Marble Church in 1981, I, my first service, it was um, first Sunday in Advent in 1981, joined in February of 82 and joined the Actors Fellowship that same year. Uh, as it turned out 10 years or nine years later, I, became the person in charge of it. And by that time, it was, I know what I want to say. <laughs> I know what God is leading me to do. Uh, it is a calling. It is something that I cannot not do. I must do. It is in me to do. Uh, it is useless for me to try not to do it <laughs> because I'm doing it when I'm not even trying to elevate the consciousness of artists. Uh, who are among the most resilient and hopeful people on the planet Amen. to elevate that consciousness, to understand not only where we get these gifts, talents, and skills from, but how God looks at it. And that's where the precious and honored in the, the book I wrote comes from, from Isaiah chapter four, verses three to four, where God says, you know, you're precious and honored in my sight. And I love you. So when I hear that, I hear God saying, Marioito, Senorito, I love you. I love you. <laughs> so it's, it's in my DNA right from the time I was a kid. So you're talking about this artist understanding yes. their worth. And I'm just thinking about how how have you been able to encourage them i mean you know there's this scripture there's mm -hmm. but 
how, how how do you help them, like practically speaking, embrace that? Because the challenge with, you know, as, as you know, Mario, my former career was in show business. I was sure. a, a, an actress, professional actress. And um, it could be really challenging at times when you go out and you're pounding the pavement, you have your auditions, how many auditions do you go to? And then maybe you'll get a couple callbacks. And then from those couple right. callbacks, maybe one, you know, every couple of weeks or couple of months, depending on where you are in your career, you'll get the actual job, right? Yes. So there's a lot of having to put yourself out there and then the return, it's great when it happens, but you you take nothing for granted. And that can take its, you know, putting yourself out there and sort of rejection. And I say that with quotes um, because it's not really rejection. It's just the name of the game. That's just how yeah. it works. But yeah. it can over time take a toll on, on a person's spirit. Yes. And on their sense of worth. And so how do you like, how, how do you do it? Like, I mean, you're, you're a wonderful exhorter, you're a wonderful encourager, but just give us a few words of like, how do you help people find hope? And how do you help them to build their own resilience muscles and their own sense of overcoming? And and I mean, maybe you have some examples from your own life of where you've been faced with something challenging and you had to find hope and overcome it, overcome the situation. Being an artist by definition means that you are taking, uh, making something from nothing. And that in itself seems like magic to people. Uh, and so therefore, it was sort of like a magic trick. It you know, doesn't have much value, but um, it is actually the most valuable thing that we can have is to be connected to the source of all of our creativity. However, if I look at it uh, and say, well, where, where in scripture can I find artists uplifted? Well, I don't know, Genesis to Revelation, you're going to find artists building temples. You're going to find artists doing this and doing that and the finest artists. And if you're building Solomon's temple, check out Hiram. Hiram's in Lebanon. He's a good guy. He has a really good crew and he can build this and do this and goldsmith and just listen to the description of the artist. So go to Psalm 150, where you're going to see, praise the Lord, cymbals, trumpets, harps, everything, whatever, praise the Lord with this. You're not going to find artists being silent. If you did, you wouldn't have the Psalms or the Proverbs, or you wouldn't have Song of Solomon. You wouldn't have any of those because they come from the soul of people expressing. And so I lift up artists by saying, no, you actually have a tremendous amount of value because it's all through scripture. The other part of it, though, is that, yes, we face rejection a lot, uh, more so than any other profession probably on the planet. But it's not really rejection. As you said, it's, it's, it's the name of the game. It just simply means that if I'm going out for an audition, I'm not the right person for that role. The problem comes when I identify my worth with what I do Mm, as opposed to who I am. And so there are two professions where that is almost 100% of the case. Entertainment, sports, those are the two. I am what I do. I make my money based on what I do. And if I don't do it, I am nothing. The number of people, and you know them too, who could have done, spent three years on a Broadway show and they're not acting. It's like, can I act? Can I dance? I'm not sure I can anymore. The doubt that comes in because we're not doing. What I emphasize is not what you do. Who are you? 
not I take photographs, I am a photographer. Not, you know, I can, I can do some dance moves. I am a dancer. I am a singer, whether I sing or not, whether I dance or not. This is who I am in the sense of this is the gifts, talent. These are the gifts, talents, and skills that I have, God given. It doesn't say I have them only if I do them. No, no, I am it. And so I concentrate on the spiritual aspect of claiming I am, and you know the power of those two words, I am a musician. I am a writer. Lord, put in front of me the opportunities you want for me to pursue. Well, God is endless. That's an endless stream right there. So I've not been out of work. The moment I claim that, I've not been out of work since October of 1977. Wow. When I said, God is my employer. Where do you want me to go? The other part of it is hardly ever, unless maybe you're a Stevie Wonder or J.K. Rowling or something, do, does a, a writer uh, sell tickets for a Broadway show before they write the book? They write. <laughs> they write. They don't write saying, well, if, if I write this, then I'll get a show. If, if I write this, maybe. They write. They sing. They dance, they speak, they, they draw, they paint. You don't paint and say, well, unless it's going to be in a museum, I'm not going to paint. No, you paint because you must paint. You are a painter. You are a poet. Uh, and so if you, if you follow that, then you do it because it's in you to do. The selling it, that's another animal. That's another industry. The doing it, you do because it's in you to do. There are two other examples I give uh, where society is at odds with this, but one is before COVID on a Wednesday in Bro on Broadway, you're going to have hundreds of thousands of people going to see a show. They're going to spend anywhere from 60 to $200 a ticket, dragging their kids to see that <laughs> to see that show and at the same time they'll say okay we're going to go see uh frozen but don't you dare be a singer because you can't make any money right. don't you dare you're not going to make you're, you're spending two hundred dollars a ticket to see hamilton you're going to be online for 20 years to see that show but don't you be a dance dancer don't you be an actor don't you really no kidding then why are you spending all that money yeah because they're worth it right. <laughs> Worth it. And the last thing I'll say about this is if anybody says to you, uh, and this, this is really what really seeps into our consciousness. If anybody says, okay, look, uh, you know, there shouldn't be any music programs, there shouldn't be any art programs, let's just get science and just do away with all this other stuff. I said, okay, then tell them to go home. When they open up their door, take all the stuff off the walls. Take it, throw it out. Uh, take all the books off your shelves, throw it out. Take all the movies and the pictures and the whatever in your phone, throw it out. Uh, take all your clothes and throw them out because they were designed by somebody. Take all of that stuff, throw it out. It's useless. We have no need for that at all. 
Uh, so when you finish taking everything that is connected with the arts mm. out and you're naked in front of the window, look at God's handiwork. <laughs> you can't get away from it. We're surrounded by art and music and design. So if we're surrounded by it, the world must need it. Mm -hmm. So here we are. Let's supply that. Let's do what we do. You had mentioned that you were surrounded by art and spirituality, and I just I love yeah. that story of your pastor from from your church, mm -hmm. uh, St. Augustine's, right, Presbyterian, up in the, and yeah. in Spanish Harlem, East Harlem. That was in the Bronx. That was in the Bronx. Yes, we cannot confuse the two. For those who live outside of New York City, just know that I I need to be very I'm being very careful because it's important so <laughs> that bro, we so not bro, confuse. <laughs> That's so, true. so, um, and to locate these, you know, we want to give honor, uh, to these, um, places in our lives. Right. But when you yes. talk about that sense of that, you were exposed to that art and spirituality. And then you mentioned that in the seventies, that then you started working and you've never looked back. And I'm wondering yeah. if you could just maybe dig into that a little bit for us and just share a little bit more about, because that sounds like that was kind of a, a, a seminal moment in your life. Big um, moment. Yeah. Absolutely big moment. Um, I was the assistant director, in addition to everything else I was doing, I was the assistant director of an upward bound program at Columbia University. Uh, from 19, I worked there from 68 through 74, and again in 77. But I had left there in 74 to pursue music. Uh, and at that point, uh, New York City was about to go broke. For those who might remember that back in 1975, mm -hmm. it was about to go broke. My life fell apart. I had absolutely, everything just fell apart. Personally, professionally, there was nothing left. And I just lost my faith in being able to do anything in music. So I started to work where I can. I was driving a yellow cab on the streets of New York. Um, and the, nothing was happening. Nothing was, was going on. I mean, everything was just done. But then I started to slowly get back into music. I had a band and slowly we began doing that. Uh, the turning point came when I had some record contracts that were uh, going to be fulfilled in June of 77. And they just bottomed out. The person said wow. they would see me on a Monday and which is great. Monday, he had been, he had been fired Friday and I had seen him right after he was fired. He didn't say anything. And so I was completely disillusioned. I swore off music. I'm not going to do that. Hey, I have skills being a, at, at Columbia University. I'm going to be a counselor. I'm going to get my master's degree in counseling. I have been doing a lot of work at the uh, at then the State University of New York at Binghamton. I'm going to go up there. I know everyone. This is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to do music anymore. And I didn't accept a singer that I know named Teddy, Terry Gonzalez said, I'm doing a show, would you be musical director? I said, no, absolutely not. I don't do music anymore. And she looked at me with those batted eyes, pretty please, pretty please. And I said, no, I, and pretty please, okay. I tell you what, I'll be, I'll conduct, but I'm not going to play piano. Uh, you'll have to find somebody else to play piano because I have an interview two days after our show. I'm going up to Binghamton. I'm going to be live up there and, and work. So we, we do the, sh we, the, the evening of the show that Monday, I walk into the club, made the mistake 
of passing my hand over the keys of the black lacquered piano. And I felt the energy just go all the way through. And I said, I can't leave this. I cannot. Wow. Canceled the, uh, the interview and had no job. Wow. No. But I said, Lord, you are the one who gave this to me. Find it, I'll do it. From that moment, October 77, to this point, I have never been unemployed, wow. ever. I've lost jobs, you know, the job stops, you know, the same way as if you're doing a show, you know, wherever you do the show ends. I have never been unemployed from that point. I gave this to God. God gave it to me. I'm giving it to God. You find the places I'm showing up. Wow. And that's what has happened all these years. And I've never, ever, ever regretted it. It seems to me that you found hope and the resilience and the being able to overcome that by being obedient. Yes. It's been a walk in obedience and trust that Absolutely. God was going to bring the abundance, was going to bring um, the increase to your humble efforts. But there's, I believe I, that. I just hear so much humility, Mario, in your in your story. That, but but it's interesting because it's this both andedness. It's this, it's and that's where you know when I talk about lavish hope, where does the lavish come in? Mm. And it's like, in order for you to be able to continue to just walk in that, like that's a testimony of God's faithfulness, right? For you to be able yes. to walk in that, it was. It, it's like you could have. It's like holy boldness and yes, confident faith, and and be humble but yet have that trust that God was going to help you use your gifts, was going to guide you and show you places where you could use them. And it yes. was up to you to just say yes to them, no matter what they were. That's exactly right. Uh, in my book, the first three parts of it is A, B, and C. Authority, take authority over your gifts, talents, and skills. Take authority. And I say, you know, if, if you're at a ceremony or something and they say, by the powers vested in me, I said, well, it was given to them. Well, if these gifts, talents, and skill, not if, since they were given to me, I take authority over them. Mm -hmm. with, oh, that's that's the A part. I take the authority over them with boldness. I'm claiming this. It's not subject to debate. This is mine mm. with confidence, which is the C part. So I have authority, boldness, confidence. And when you put those three together, Wow. That That's doesn't mean you get every role that you go out for. That doesn't mean that. What it means is that you get to do your art every day if you want to. And See, sometimes you get the job. That's such a great perspective. You know, we talk about perspective taken, and I think that's a as we're looking to build resilience, right? How do we adapt? Yes. How do we how do we um, pick ourselves up and keep moving forward? And that just seems like that's the recipe for it, right there. Of like, how do you do that, as, especially as an artist? But I think for people in general. So, so Mario, you mentioned your book. I yes. would love for you to just tell us a little bit more about Precious Favorite. and this Honored. Precious yes. and Honored uh, came about that. Uh, the title came about because when I, back in the days when my life had fallen apart and I thought that everything was going to go down the drain, um, the verse that I heard over and over, whether I wanted to or not, 
believe me, that was a tale in itself, was uh, you are precious and honored in my sight. And it didn't leave me. Wherever I would go, I would see it. I would hear it. I would hear it. I would see it. And I'm saying, all right, God, I think I got the picture here. I'm precious and honored in your sight, even if I don't feel like it. Wow. And God says, okay, now, good starting point. Let's go. <laughs> and so I figured, since that was such an important part to me, uh, letting me know right off the bat that I am precious and honored in God's sight and, and, and he loves me. I am loved by this mother, father, God. Uh, that's a really good place to start with my own journey. And so the book came about as I was, I think it was 2012, I was doing my yearly lessons with the arts ministry. Uh, and in this particular uh, book, it's just a book of lessons that I did that year from 2012 to 2013, I believe, uh, under wealth management. And that was spelled W-H-E-A-L-T-H. So it's combining wealth with health, got wealth management. And this was put together. This was, you know, God is doing this. Over the years, people would say, you should do a book. Um, I'm not a writer, <laughs> a musician. I can write <laughs> lyrics. I can write shows. I'm, you know, that's not me. But I had a nudge. I had two nudges, two people who would just simply not let that idea go. And so they kept at it and kept that. And finally, I said, well, Lord, what do you think? He said, you should write a book. <laughs> well, so, there you go. Confirmation. Confirmation. What do I write on? And he said, that's pretty good right there, what you have there. Okay. And so that's how that began. And the process of in the process of writing the book, I knew nothing about websites, nothing about the, the entire process, but there are people who do. And so I called on Robert Romagnoli at Marble, who did the Sister Carol Perry devotionals. I said, that's the size I want to, I don't want to put it online. I want people to be able to touch it, mark it, you know, dog ear it and so on. And it fits very neatly in a number 10 envelope. <laughs> <laughs> It was very easy to get across, but I wanted people to really have the idea in their hands how much worth they are to God and to the rest of, of the world, whether the world acknowledges it or not. So I pursued it, went ahead and did it, and had it published. Wonderful. Well, I I, I love that. Um, you know, when I've when I've looked at your website, I've seen how you talk about the physical, like having it as yes. a as a physical item. Mm -hmm. And you know, we're in this world of technology. People talk about saving trees, all that stuff. So there's like this kind of value now on that. But there is something that's so it's it's something to be treasured is that yes. the physical books, right? I mean, like I'm sitting here, you know, you and I are we can see each other via Zoom, yes. even though this is a podcast, which will be audio. But um, but. I sit here in an office that's full of books and I love that feeling of the book. And I, I love the image of the artist as they, you know, go on their go sees or they go from place to place, having yes. a copy of that in their yes. bag that as they're sitting on the train or they're, you know, sitting in a waiting room, you know, yes. waiting for the audition or they're, you know, on their, you know, after a long day of their day job and they're having to still go to rehearsal and they just need something to remind them that they are precious and honored or give them perhaps a little bit of inspiration to help perk them up and keep them going. It sure. sounds like that's what this devotional, this handbook mm -hmm. 
is really all about. It really is. I mean, I, I have a chapter uh, on resilience uh, because it is something that every artist experiences, whether they know it or not, mm -hmm. they have resilience. And it is that part of, of us as artists, uh, which enables us to bend but not break. Yeah. But in order to bend back, we have to, we have to be down. You don't sort of get the idea of being resilient unless you've had a force against you. But we always come back. I use Romans 8, 35 to 38, uh, who can separate us from the love of God. And there's this list. And you could add 50 things to that list. But we are, through all of this, we are more than conquerors. So yes, that means exactly. that we are, we have it. Through this, we are more than conquerors. I did a, a devotional on the difference between a winner, uh, a champion, and a conqueror. A person who's a winner means that they sort of win more than they lose. Okay. A person who's a champion is used to winning. Mm. They're used to winning. They're, they're used to overcoming. A conqueror is used to overcoming in a big way. <laughs> and God says we are more than conquerors. It's not a necessarily militaristic. It means whatever you throw at me, God and I can work with, whatever it is. Uh, and in all of our lives, if we acknowledge it professionally in the industry or where uh, I don't know, roles come and go and disappointments and all of the drama that can happen backstage, on stage, rehearsed, through all of that, mm -hmm. I'm more than a conqueror. Yeah. I can do this. I can get through it. As long as I am obedient to the gifts, talents, and skills I have, which is where I find the joy. Mm -hmm. So if I'm to have God's joy, Jesus says, I, I wish you could have my joy. Well, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take your joy. But it comes on the other end of sacrifice. It comes on the other end of hard work. It comes on the other end of steadily moving forward. I press on. I keep going forward. I'm, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All of that. All of that is to press, pressing forward at the same time. Rejoice in everything. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. I can, so there's this it's active. It's it's moving forward. So those are the kinds of uh, qualities and characteristics that artists have. It's just that if we believe we don't because we're told we don't, well, geez, that's not good. Or as uh, my one of my favorite comics from way back when, Flip Wilson, in his uh, guys of either Reverend Leroy or Geraldine, he would say a lie is as good as the truth if you can get somebody to believe it. <laughs> oh man, yike, but it's true. If I believe that I'm not worthy of God's blessing, then what am I gonna do with all this stuff? It's really the hope is found in, in the depth of one's faith. That, yes. That's what I'm it's hearing. the only place it can be found. Yeah, that's the only place. It can Amen. Be and you know, I I, I want to say, Mario, I so appreciate this conversation because I know there's people out there that they don't know how deeply um, God loves them, 
Yes. And and there's also this tension with, you know, the world of, of show business or of the arts. It can be seen sometimes as, as very much a worldly um, yes. entity. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you are beckoning um, folks to, to see artists through the lens of, of, of spirituality and, and, you know, and this is in the Christian tradition, seeing it as, you know, this is something that, that is God given and that it's our opportunity to be faithful, to um, shine the light of Christ through our gifts out into yes. the world. Yes. That and is, I love that. I think is. that's, that's so hopeful. So Mario, I did see, um, the piano there behind you. <laughs> and one of the questions I like to yeah, ask my gifts, one, one of the things that I like to ask my guests is, um, where is a place that you find hope today? And um, I don't know, would you would you be willing to play a little something for us? It feels like your piano's right there. <laughs> it is. I hadn't thought of it, but I'm going to, I'm going to play. Um, I find hope knowing that whatever I do has purpose. Because if I'm hopeless, then there's nowhere for anything I do or who I am to go. Mm -hmm. So there are times when I will uh, play. In fact, I just did this at a memorial service for one of the members of uh, the arts ministry who passed away back in February. I'll just play a little bit of it. Okay. somebody yes your living will not have been in vain that's it (laughs) i mean literally that's it that's what um for me it's it's the calling to help people in my capacity not only as the arts ministry coordinator at marble church but as an artist period wherever i am if i can help encourage someone on this road to be the best they can be regardless of circumstances, Mm -hmm. regardless of what you see. If I can help them and encourage them to move them forward, then my living will not be in vain. And that comes in a variety of different modes that are, that could be really, some of them could be incendiary but you have to encourage them to do that anyway. And I think I know somebody who was on the planet a couple thousand years ago who made some people feel (laughs) uncomfortable and was considered incendiary. But let me give you one brief example. One of my dearest friends is named Mary Miller. She's from Atlanta, born in Atlanta, Georgia. I met her at Marvel. She came up to New York to be an actor. Uh, When I first saw her writing, I called her immediately on the phone and said, Mary, this is tremendous. This is good. And she said, do I have a right to do it? I said, of course you do. The reason she was saying that is because 
she writes from a position and from a posture, you would think she was black. And she's as white, blue-eyed, blue blonde as, as you can get. Do I have permission? She didn't want to put any of that out. Uh, well, she writes from that position because she was raised in a household that had a wonderful woman who, who ran the house. Her name was Teresa. So she said, do I have a right to do it? Now, I worked with Gordon Parks for 20 years as his assistant. And I only introduced two people to him, and she was one of them. He read her work, sat down with her, and gave her encouragement and permission to do this. Beautiful. And so she entered her play into a, into a contest and won. And when she did win, they said, and they saw who she was, and they said, what, what gives you the right to do this? She said, well, um, Gordon Parks told me to do so. Well, that ended the conversation <laughs> right there. So if you are going to encourage someone who has that kind of a voice, that's authentic, she's not making stuff up, this is authentic voice, then you must encourage them to go forward, even if it, even if it makes some other people angry. Mm -hmm. Do it anyway, because that's your authentic voice. That's like the, the, the Nathan voice of David. That's the voice that says, this is the truth and I must tell it mm -hmm. tell it mm -hmm. so we are also courageous when we do that and we find i find hope in that that's so beautiful and yet still this theme of humility even as we are oh, walking yes. forward with like she did seek wise counsel she did come yes. humbly to say do is this okay and so that um that that that's a beautiful piece of this because sometimes you know you just run into people that are kind of one note they're so it's kind of arrogant right and yeah. and they're just not really understanding i think that's part of the faith walk is as a follower of jesus is that we keep our humility close to us so so but but we can't be paralyzed either though and in fact the humility that's where the courage comes, comes right <laughs> yes i was going to say that's that's where it comes from because humility doesn't mean weak humility right. doesn't mean soft humility means i know who's in charge <laughs> there it is <laughs> i know who's in charge and i'm not taking that number one spot because that's taken yeah <laughs> that spot is taken but when i'm called to tell the truth or more importantly to be the truth for me to be yeah. the truth yeah. that helps and so if you're looking for a in in a certain sense a how you've heard the phrase you know uh, you'll know the truth and the truth the truth will make you free and i said yeah but that section from the chapter from from the gospel of john has a little bit before that and it says if you know my word if you follow me then you will be my disciples and you will know the truth and it will set you free. And went, oh, don't forget about the first part. <laughs> you can't forget the first part. If you follow my word, then. Yes. Then. And so that's that's the part that I try to remember. It's not my word. I'm not, no, no, it's this is Jesus talking. This is God talking. It's the Holy Spirit expressing. If I follow that then I'm going to find the truth of the situation. And it's, sometimes, it's going to be, sometimes it's going to be what I say. Other times it's going to be what I do. And other times it's going to be who I am. But as long as I'm not out front, 
this is not my army, <laughs> but I have a part to play. And it can come in a poem. It can come in a sentence, in, a, in an essay. It can come in a color, uh, in a painting or drawing. It can come in, in teaching a little child how to draw. Mm. It comes in so many ways, so many different ways. So if you give yourself over to the creator of those gifts and talents and skills in you, you can't possibly go wrong. Mm -hmm. Unless you go your own way. Well, that's another thing, but <laughs> <laughs> which all of us do. And, you know, we crash and burn. But God is there to pick us up and say, now let me show you how to do it. Yeah. I have this other image too about at the end of the law of uh, Psalm 23, it says, surely in goodness, mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Because of my crazy imagination, mm. I assign roles to surely and mercy. Surely is a guy. <laughs> mercy is a woman and they follow me. They stalk me <laughs> all the days of my life <laughs> because they're there under God's command. I love that. What a great image. Well, Mario Sprouse, thank you so much for coming by the Lavish Hope podcast and for just so much of uh, sharing so much of your wisdom and these anecdotes and these life lessons. Um, well, you said lavish, so. <laughs> listen, I love it. I love it. And, um, you know, I feel like you're speaking into the heart of so many artists, but but just you're speaking into the hearts of people in general. And so um, let me just say one more, let's just say one more time, because I, th I think some people are going to want to have access to your hand, that handbook. Sure. So it's precious and honored spiritual handbook for artists and other people. And um, other people. <laughs> I'm adding that in, but just um, your website is precious and honored. Dot net. Dot net. So yes, precious sir. and honored dot net if they would like to access a hard copy as it is available. And I've seen also recently that you've been doing workshops, right? As we've been in the middle of yes. pandemic and need to gather virtually, you're offering that as well. So people can keep up and get on your mailing list and all that good yes, stuff. Yes, all they have to do is is put their names on the mailing list and I'll let them know when the next workshop is. We just had one, uh, but we're going to have another one soon. Wonderful. I know people will want to access that. Mm -hmm. So Mario, thank you so much for being You're here welcome. today. God bless you. And thank you for being such an inspiration in so God many ways. You. Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure.